Hello and welcome back to the Chronicle Talk podcast. This is episode number 61. I'm Robert Constantine. And I'm Natalie Govia. And this week's special guest was Jake Hanrahan. He's currently managing his own media organization named Popular Fronts. Uh, Jake is a war correspondent and he has reported on conflicts in countries such as Turkey, Ukraine, Syria, Iraq and Palestine. Stay tuned because in this episode, Jake will take you on a trip around the globe telling us about his fascinating stories along the way. Now, Jake launched his career in journalism at Vice and he talked to a journalism lecturer at the University of Northampton, Hilary Scott, about how he got his first job. I pitched The Guardian a hundred times before they even said no. <laughs> and then they were like, like, I was glad, I was like, oh, I've got a reply. And they were like, no, this is terrible. Like, it was a terrible <laughs> idea. But eventually, like, I started getting like, places and then I eventually got a piece in The Guardian, like a big kind of spread. So then I was kind of getting a name. Remember was like, what it was about? Yeah, it was about it was about skateboarders in Tunisia in the in the revolution, and they basically like went into one of the kind of corrupt politicians' mansions, and like chased him out, destroyed it, and then turned it into a skate park. <laughs> and I was like, that's that's a really cool and story. And he just got this by just talking to people, talking to just people. chatting. Yeah, I was like kind of interested in war and conflict, even like at the start. But obviously, I didn't have any money, so I was like, I can't go to war. You know, I can't even afford a taxi, let alone a plane. So I just started like making contacts with people in those kind of worlds, you know what I mean? Um, and eventually got some stories from it. And then yeah, like kind of got a little name as a freelancer and then Vice News started when it was like good. And I mean, it's kind of weird now, I don't know, but I saw the trailer and I was like, yeah, that's, I was really writing for Vice a little bit, but I was like, that's everything I like about them. I've got to work there. So I contacted one of the editors that I was writing for, and I was like, I need the boss's name. Like, who is it? And they were like, no, he doesn't want to be hassled. I was like, just give it, just give it. So they gave me it. Just bugged him, bugged him, bugged him. I was like, you have to let me come and meet you. You have to let me. I've got the best ideas. And he's like, who the hell are you? Like, all right, come. So <laughs> I went to Vice. I like, got the train from Kevin. And then as I went in, he was like, oh, I forgot about you. I'm, I'm going to be gone for like three hours. So I was like, right. He was like, come back another day. But I just waited. I said, no, nah, forget this. <laughs> so I just waited in the, in the like, reception like a weirdo. And then he comes back in and he's like, why are you here? I was like, I waited. He was like, all right, now we, now we can do it. So I think he like, appreciated that I was like, hungry. You know what I mean? Yeah, dedicated. Dedicated. You know what I mean? Like, I pitched him some ideas. And then he was like, all right, kind of like them. Didn't hear anything. And then I was working. I was on this like, like laboring on a, on a, on a um, like building site. And he just rang me and was like, are you going to come and work for us then? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then I just left and that was that. So as Jake says, you really need to drive yourself if you want to be part of journalism. It's very important that you impress the people and push yourself to show that you are worthy of the job. As student journalists, we are taught to push ourselves and we are told to make sure that we are still being persistent. Even if it's just trying to phone someone multiple times, you need to be persistent with it. And we need to be persistent but sometimes it is hard to push yourself and be persistent. But clearly it worked for Jake. So it probably worked for the rest of us, don't you think, Robert? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Natalie. I think you've got that spot on. Essentially what Jake has done was, you know, he, he kept working hard and he pushed himself in order to prove to his employers mainly that he's a great journalist. And in the end, that's what allowed him to become a war correspondent, which is what he wanted to do from the get-go. So now let's listen to his first experiences on, uh, on an actual war zone. And they sent me out there, and I was covering riots, and that was fine. And then eventually started covering wars. So where did you go first? The first front line was in Iraq. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, like that's a bit, you know what I mean? It was like right in the deep end. Yeah, it was like fighting ISIS at the time. But I liked it. Like I went out there. It wasn't that heavy, to be fair. Like it was 
people think of war as like constant. Like it's not really, you know, it's it's mostly it's sitting about. mostly waiting around, right? Yeah. So so but then when it does go off, it goes off. But so I did that, I got a little name for myself and then the I was covering like the Kurdish issue. Um and then they were in a war with the with the state in Turkey and basically I managed I was get I was good at getting access somehow. Like I, I think now I still am like I just get I was more interested in stories that not everyone was covering. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Vice liked that. So, yeah, they sent me to Turkey. Um, and we got, late, like, embedded with, like, the militia. You know what I mean? Well, no one else could get that. But then we got arrested. We got caught by the, the government. And they, like, accused us of being terrorists and, like, arrested us. This is because the P, the, it was the P, um, PKK, PKK yeah, at yeah. the time. So the Kurdish... So there's a lot of discussion about whether or not the Kurdish effect, effectively revolutionary force mm. are being some countries say well they're terrorists yeah some people say they're, they're freedom rebels fighters. freedom fighters well, yeah, it's yeah that old thing yeah um there's a lot of countries that say that accuse them of kind of drug trafficking mm. but that is actually something that happens a lot in 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 situations where you can't get a standard job and a standard wage mm. a lot of kind of industry a lot of kind of organisations basically turn a blind eye to a lot of what we would say is wrongdoing. Uh, you know, how did you find yourself in those situations in in danger? Because that's yeah. what I think would put a lot of people off. And your family must have been terrified. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you just sort of. I don't. I mean, I don't really tell them t too much. You know, what I mean, my granddad knew. Um, unfortunately, died like this year, but like he knew. He knew like I think what was happening, but he just respected it and was like. Just be careful, you know what I mean? Whereas my grandma, she was just like, you'll be all right. I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, no problem. But yeah, it was really, like, really dangerous. Like, that was the worst one yet. Like, now I'm older, I look back, I wouldn't do that again. Like, we were getting, like, we had to stay in, like, the safe houses of, like, the militants. So we were just, like, a target. We were getting shot at by, like, 50 caliber, like, guns. Like, it was horrible, yeah. It was like, one night, I was like, oh, no. Like, we're going to die. So that was, for me, it was a bit like, no, nah, that's... that's you know, at the time, I was like, this is important. But looking back, it's not that. It wasn't important enough to risk it like that, you know? Yeah, there's a certain element of 25-year-old yeah, bravado. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I just, I didn't even think about, like, dying, I don't think. You know, like, so many times we nearly did. And I was just like, cool, like, interesting. Not like, not like, oh, wow, that was close. Just, like, just almost didn't register. And then I think going to jail really helped because that was, like, an iron. Or, like, right, <laughs> things can go really bad doing this job, you know? So do you think for, it's a young guy's game? Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I think so. Uh, women as well, yeah, like plenty of like good female war reporters. But I think like it's, I don't know if it is, like in the field, it is and it isn't because when you're young, you're more reckless. You know what I mean? Like now when I, I still do frontline, but I'm a lot more careful, you know what I'm saying? Which I think is better for me as well. But at the same time, it's like, well, maybe you don't get the best footage. But, you know, it, it, it in a day is just a job. So I know personally being a journalist in a war zone would really scare me, um, especially when Jake said that it was he was in danger and it had affected his family. I don't know personally how my family would react, but I know they would have dreaded me being there and they would rather me have been at home and reporting at home than being there. If you went to a war zone, you, wouldn't, you would be close to death. And especially being a young guy like you, Rob, would as Jake said, you were seen as being more reckless. So what would you have done? Well, it, it, it's such a difficult thing to consider because I think Jake is, is very brave for doing what he does um, or mainly what he used to do, uh, not as much now. 
Um, you know, as, as he said, it, it's a young man's game. When you're young, you're you're reckless. You're you're more, you know, you you don't think about the you don't think about what could happen to you. So, I I get that. Uh, you might find it exciting. You might get some some sort of you know adrenaline rush from from doing it. Uh, so that's why I I really respect all of the war correspondents because it's not an easy job to do. Would you personally go to war? I I personally wouldn't uh, because I value my life to be honest. Um, but I know that you asked him a really good question, didn't you? Um, so yeah, Robert, I asked Jake what his scariest experience was while he was a journalist slash still is a journalist. But he said it was his imprisonment in Turkey. So like my mum kind of dealt with it really well. So she kind of just dealt with that and was, but you know, I was away for like 11 days, you know what I mean? So it was 11 days more than I should have been, but it's like, it wasn't that long, but she was aware of it. And it's certainly, it's a good question because it's certainly like now we speak about it and I can tell like that, that really affected her, you know what I mean? So now I definitely think that for me, like we're extremely close, you know what I mean? So for me, it's like, if I go away somewhere where I think, oh, there's a possibility of arrest there, I just don't go. I mean, I always did. I mean, there is a selfish element to it, but you know, at the end of the day, it's a job, you know, it's what I was good at, so I did it. There was definitely, part of me was like, oh, I need to do this. But at the same time, you know what I mean? It put bread on the table, so there is that. But yeah, now it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, like there was an opportunity to go to Venezuela when all that was happening, and I knew a, a Western reporter got arrested. I was like, no, nah, I'm not going. Like, it's just not worth it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and I was lucky, you know, we were so lucky. We got out in like 11 days. Nothing that bad really happened to us, you know? Like, people got killed in that jail. Like, a guy got shot in our cell, like, after we left. Like, a week after we left by the prison guard. So, it's like, yeah, it's the number one, it was the number one prison for, for rape, actually. Like, that prison is, like, on all the lists for, like, being investigated. So, honestly, we were kind of lucky. We were just kind of bumming about, like, you know, just doing press-ups and, like, talking, you know. So, I know personally I'd hate to be in prison, especially if it was in a different country, because then you would not, ha not be able to listen to anything that they were saying. What do you think about his stories from prison, Rob? I think it's quite interesting, and as you said, being in a, you know, in a foreign country, especially in a country like Turkey, um, it, it's, it's weird because obviously you won't know what's happening you know, around you. Uh, and Jake did mention that you know, there, there were some... There, there was reports of aggression towards him. Um, you know, he allegedly uh, got beaten up in prison, which obviously is it's not it's not ideal for for anyone for any any inmate, especially for a journalist who has done nothing wrong and has been imprisoned. Uh, you know, just purely for uh, on on the basis of speculation. But prison was not the only time Jake's life has been at risk, and so let's uh, let's listen to our lecturer, Hillary. Was there a point then, you know, the kind of what were you, twenty four, twenty five then? Twenty five, yeah. And what what do you think? I mean, you talk about you you know lying in bed and listening to kind of bullets flying mm. over the house. What what was the moment where you thought, I really shouldn't be here? Yeah, there, there was a, there was only a very brief moment, but we were like on patrol with with the it was the PKK youth wing, so it wasn't even like the top commanders, like the the real trained guys. They were like they didn't really know what they were doing, you know. They were just like, okay, my friends are dead, I best shoot someone, you know what I mean? So they were like on patrol, and then we just start getting like the so the Turkish military turned the electric off for the whole town, so you can't see anything, and they just started firing in, and we were like running down like a road. 
And one of them was saying like, oh, don't worry, it's just harassing fire, like meaning they're just trying to scare us. And then just like something went through a wall <laughs> near us. And that's when I realized, I was like, these guys don't know what's going on. They haven't got a clue what they're doing. Like, this is mad dangerous. And um, I remember it's just, just running in the dark, just like, oh no. <laughs> like, but then we got to a next point and it was fine again. You know what I mean? These things are very like... Yeah, in the moment. Yeah, again, in Ukraine as well, we got shelled once, as in a trench. And I, for about 10 seconds, I was like, right, I'm dead. And then two minutes later, everyone's laughing and drinking coffee again. And so it, it's weird. It's not like in films, you know, it's not constant. But I've been quite lucky. Like I know I've got other friends who've been in like really like pinned down for an hour, whereas like never really happened to me that much, you know. So in light of the Palestinian conflict being in the news again, Jake has a tip for us on how to travel abroad as a journalist. Every journalist should do this. You can get two passports, right? You know this. So every, I got two passports because I've been to Lebanon. So if you've been to Lebanon and you go to Israel, they're going to be like, why have you got this Lebanon stamp? So it's like, no, bring the other one, you know. Or just sometimes you can say don't stamp it. But in the Middle East, they love the stamps. You know, it's it's a they need the stamp. So. So yeah, that, that was okay. But to be honest, you know, press freedom is pretty good there. Um, you do get harassed now, but it's, the problem is it's like, I'm, I was filming with Palestinians and then Israelis, and then Israelis are like, oh, you love them, you're a terrorist. And it's like, look, this is my job. You know what I mean? Like, I so film with messenger. people you don't like, and then I film with people they don't like. Obviously, I don't believe in complete objectivity. That's just, you'd have to be a psycho. You know, I don't believe, you can't cover war and just be like, I'm a blank slate. But that's, you know, that's... That's kind of b beside the point, you know what I mean? It's like, and it's like, I said, like, if you're this, oh yeah, well, they shoot us and we shoot them, and they, it's like, yeah, I know, that's why I'm here. You know what I mean? It's like, that got really, that got annoying, actually. You know, that got really annoying. To be honest, on the Palestinian side, they didn't really care. They were just like, oh, cool, you want to film this? Cool. But like, when you go to, they were like, we know you've been over there. Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it, it was like, I'm not, I don't hate you guys, I don't hate them. It's like, you know, it just got to this thing where it, that, that was the worst place for that. Just constant, 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 like, arguing with people. Yeah. What do you think about Palestine? What do you think it's like? Just yeah. let me drink my coffee, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was annoying. But, yeah, uh, you get that everywhere. You have to, you know. You have to be very eager to be in constant arguments and constant conflict with these people, yeah. you know. Now, in this final clip of the podcast, we'll let Jake tell you the story of one of his most popular documentaries. That took like three years to get access to that. That took so long um, because what he's doing, he's dead now, God rest his soul. He died, but yeah, he died yeah, not long ago. Um, but Where was it? Uh, can't tell you that. <laughs> Can you give me a rough, a rough... It was Western Europe, like it okay. says, you know. But, you know, we went there and it was like the maddest thing I've ever seen. Like a guy just 3D printing like guns in his like workshop in his bedroom. With a balaclava. With a balaclava on, on. Like yeah, it was the maddest thing. But like that got I mean it got like two point five million views and that's on my platform which is completely independent. So no advertising at all. And that was like I knew that you know I knew that though. I knew that I had to chase this guy. It was like this will be massive for us. You know so how I mean? did you hear about it? Just be I, I was in that world of like, you know like crypto, you know, and that I was I went to like the first ever Bitcoin conference when I was like 23 like Vice commissioned oh me God. to go yeah and I was like I don't even know what this thing is really I but still don't know what yeah but I was like you know excuse me I went to it and it was like oh it's okay like it's interesting whatever now it's massive but through that I was less interested in like the money and more interested in like the weird people I met there you know there was the guy at the time was making 3d guns back then like parts for it and I just followed that and I got in contact with him and then eventually he like another group took over, you know, and it was the new kind of iteration of it. So I was, it was just on my radar anyway. And then I messaged them and I was like, look, I want to film with you guys. And they, they um, luckily they kind of trusted me and they were like, okay, 
you know, that's, that's, you know, we'll trust you, but it took three years. So it was yeah. a very long time, but it was worth it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Chronicle Talk podcast. We've been Robert Constantine. And Natalie Govia. And we'll be back after the winter break with new episodes.